Ian Collins wants a word. Powered by the Mitsubishi L200. With a five-year, 125,000-mile warranty, that's as tough and hard-working as you are. Hi, everybody. How are you today? Are you okay? I hope so. Are you happy? I hope so. Ian Collins wants a word. This is balmy. Uh, we were meant to be doing, what, 25 of these bad boys. What's this, Kev? Episode 60? Get the bunting out, sideshow. I feel a celebration coming on. Andre, pull the levers of creativity, man. On the show, this. Chin Chin, the chip-chewing chimp. Amanda Holden's forehead's worth of this. I've done all the hard news stuff. I've worked on hard news stories. People don't pull the wool over my eyes. Oh, he's back. That's top journalist and paranormal expert Howard Hughes is back on with us, taking your questions later. And we'll be left looking more daft than one of those kids on Britain's Got Talent, but of course everybody's too scared to say that and you can't because they're kids and stuff, if we didn't provide the nation with some of this. Hello. And who couldn't possibly see how excited we would be about all of that? Uh, here's our executive producer. We wouldn't call him Camp, but a recent Facebook tribute page to Sideshow Kev described him as the pink of podcasting. <laughs> what, do you mean like the colour or the pop star? Nice bungee. It's questions and feedback via social media. I think the pop star. And email. Or the colour. From Swansea Hilly. Really enjoyed the Tony Blackburn interview on the last episode. Will you be getting any more 70s radio icons on the pod? Uh, yes, when we do the OB from HMS Parkhurst. We'll... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd love to get more of those uh, icons on. Who, who would be... Would it be Ken Bruce? BBC Radio 2. Oh, he won't come on. Bruce won't? No. What do you mean? Oh, there's history there. Can't go into it, but we can't, no. Really? No. Not Bruce. Did it happen in Ballyhoo? Too? What happens in Ballyhoo stays in Ballyhoo, yeah, my friend. That's a point, isn't it? Edmunds? Yeah. Should we cosmic order him? How do we do that? Do we just go om? Om. Uh, you, just, yeah, you go om, om and you write his name on the microphone and you leave it there and magic will happen. and The, uh, the gods of the ether will summon up Noel. Right. And in he'll come in his clogs, flares and 70s haircut. Who else? Stewpot would be good. Yeah. I hear he can be a little difficult, though. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Did he? He did. From? Oh, God. <laughs> Is this as good as episode 60 is going to get? Yeah, that's it. You may as well just wrap it up. That's it. Uh, from Moomin Papa, you two keep bleating about a live show, so when is it? Well, it won't be the yeah. next couple of years. Well, it? it has to be before then. What? Strike while the iron is hot, Mr C. <laughs> yeah, when that happens, we do a live show. <laughs> no, well, we should have a go at it, at least. See what I'd, happens. I'd, I'd pencil in 2018, to be honest. 2018. I, I yeah. think... Towards the end of this year. Maybe, would be what, good. like a pre-Christmas, <laughs> Malcolm and Wise Christmas special? Oh, that'd be great. Bro. Yeah. yeah. Bring me sunshine. Do you think Des will come on? Dead, isn't he? Des O'Connor? No. Oh, I thought you were on about Des Dawson. That's Les Dawson. <laughs> <laughs> good old Des Dawson. Knickers, knackers, knockers. Tell you what, let's set up a mailing list. Should we do a mailing list? If... You are at all interested in what is going to be happening later this year, which is the Once a Word live show. It will have very limited seating. It will be a small venue. It's a cupboard out the back. But if you're interested, email me, kev at onceaword.com. I will add you to the official mailing list, mm -hmm. and we will send you information, first come, first served, as and when it becomes available. This is going to happen, though, 
and it's going to be very exciting, if mildly terrifying. It will be in a pub, probably. The yeah. interesting thing is, we, we've we actually had not one, but two different people, sort of promotion outfits, ask us to do this. Indeed, yeah. And that, that would be, it's very flattering to be asked that. And you think, well, okay, that's all right, but then what do we do? <laughs> what do we actually do well, when we, we do go this. there? What, are we going to sing songs? No, we do this. Juggle soot? We do this. We just we just put up some microphones and we wheel in the profanitator. Andre Brilliant. gets his mixing bits out. Yeah, Duncan Norvell does the support. He is available. I actually sent him an email inquiring. Uh, he hasn't got back to me, so I think I'll have to chase him. Is the door? <laughs> Come back! Come back! Yeah, I mean, we could have some. Uh, we we could have some fun with this series. I mean, if it's in a pub and you can have a pint up there on some kind of, we'll be on a stage with a spotlight. Uh, I don't know about a spotlight. Yeah, you're going to be a makeup artist. I don't know. You ma- need some. Yeah. Oh, I'd need a lot. Pink-based properties. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Uh, well, I think we just uh, we'll, we'll go and we'll have fun. Small audience. We'll have a good time with our podcast friends. Yeah. Kev at onceword.com. First mailing list mail shot will be out in a couple of weeks. And, and you can follow Kev on Twitter as well. Kev at Sideshow underscore Kev. Yeah, perfect. Bang on. Well what done. is it? At Sideshow underscore Kev. At Sideshow underscore Kev. There you go. But that won't get you added to the mailing list. No, but folk might just want to... No, nobody wants to talk to you, do they? No. From Bruce. I was reading that the French often... Hang on. Audrey, give me some French music. Ooh la la. <laughs> I was reading that the French often call their loved ones little cabbage as a term of endearment, while an Arabic term of love is little gazelle. Do you two romantic swines have loved up names for your other halves? Uh, yes. Well, I went out with Rach once, didn't oh, I? Yeah. Oh, Who that's... I used to romantically call... Wag, wag, <laughs> Doesn't everybody have a little name and once in a while it, it pops out in company and everyone else goes... Yeah. Because they well... realise... That it's up. <laughs> Where are you going oh, with this? Oh, stop it. That, that, every, every, I think everybody has a little, you know, I can't imagine Mrs. Sideshow calling you anything. But Well, I'd just call her mom and keep a safe distance, really. If you call that pet name, then fair enough. I just live in fear. <laughs> the only thing I sometimes say as a comedic term of endearment is, how are your donkey tits? <laughs> and that's it. That's beautiful. So, well, it's, a, it's like dog fingers, isn't it? It's a lovely image. Yeah, so. <laughs> yes, indeed, yeah. From Donny. Oh, it's our Spot the Newsreader competition. Yeah. Which we call, for tradition's sake, Where's Witchell and Co. Donny says, I saw Kenneth Kendall in Hyde Park, <laughs> dressed in long yellow shorts and a string vest and enjoying a 99. He had, however, <laughs> discarded the flake as it wasn't to his liking. Also, he was carrying a copy of Razzle. <laughs> P.S. I may have dreamt this. Kenneth Kendall, Treasure Hunt. <laughs> I thought he was all right. I knew I used to work alongside uh, a gentleman who was Annika Rice's cameraman. You know really? the cameraman? Who, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, for a little bit. My goodness, did he have some stories. Really? Oh, yes. What kind of stories? I don't think I can reveal them here. Okay. Unless I have a couple of beers. So give me 20 minutes. <laughs> if you see any newsreaders, drop us a line. We're building a big map, and we think it's going to, you know, CSI-style string... 
round pins. Well, at the moment, we've got two Witchells and one Kendall, so... Yeah, and... A, a and Ford a, and a Somerville would be nice, but this time next week, wouldn't we, it? We do have a dubious Sissons as well, though. Yes, that is dubious. That's from last week's episode, of course. Yeah. But, uh, well, well, where are the ladies? I bump into the modern lot. Yeah, but you don't count. When, when I do the uh, the newspaper review and stuff. Right, but... That's I, always a bit weird. I, I, every time I turn up there, for some reason, I get there about, um, I don't know, 25 to 11, and so the 10 o'clock news has just finished... So I used to find myself in the, the old BBC building, walking up the corridor behind Fiona Bruce. Oh, I bet Fiona Bruce is kind of like Lee Hurst type tall. She is the longest newsreader, really, in the BBC. Yes, about eight foot's worth of Bruce. Is she? Yeah, lovely, interesting. Silverton, she's always very nice, right? But your modern newsreaders don't have the same sort of mystique as your classics. No, but every now and again, um, I did find that a couple of weeks ago with. Is Fiona Armstrong? Oh, yes, because she's back, isn't she? she? That's right, she was back. Yeah. And I, I did her first paper review when she came back. and she, It was a bit weird, because I thought, I remember you on the telly when I was a kid. And there she was asking me if she was doing all right. Right. They do tend to disappear, though, don't they? I mean, Selena Scott was everywhere, then she was a presenter, then she was nowhere. She vanished. Older woman syndrome, of course, current yeah. debate. Anyway, newsreader spots. We need them, thanks. Mm. From Sweating Paul. Lads, a wee scenario for discussion. You're at a nice party, having a good time, then someone pulls out a guitar and starts singing. A couple of others join in. What's your reaction? I would rather nail my own eyelids to my own face. I hate all that shit. I do, and I always feel slightly awkward and a little bit embarrassed for them. But is this my failing? Because I'm No, often, it's not your failing at all. But I often seem to find myself in situations with people who are uh, in either media or, or showbiz or related arts... And someone will do that, and everyone thinks it's the greatest thing in the world, and they all join in, and they're having a bit of a, a knees up, and I'm thinking, I'm actually finding all of this kind of awkward. Is that a reflection on me, or is it a reflection no, no. on them? No, it's under the, aren't we a bit wacky umbrella? I went to a, uh, like a house party, and we got there, me and this girl I was seeing at the time, and we were the first there, so the only other people there were the couple whose party it was. And the girl was walking around with a microphone in her hand because they had some karaoke planned for the telly. I thought she's obviously just set it up to make sure it's all ready. And so there's four of us standing sort of in front of the fireplace talking. And as she's talking, she's sort of looking around at the TV, pressing something with the remote control. And she just suddenly went, yeah, I'm just going to do one now. If you change your mind... <laughs> and uh, suddenly... With just three of us looking on, yeah, uh, she sang uh, an ABBA song, start to finish. The weird thing was, the girl I was seeing and the other woman's husband didn't even blink or find this remotely odd. Mm. I cherried up like a cherry. I, 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 I no don't get it. I don't get it. I can't pinpoint why it's funny because it's all. It's usually going to be uh, unless it happens to be somebody in your group uh, who can sing really, really well, which is statistically improbable. Um, but mostly it's awful, um, and it's usually embarrassing. Nobody looks good or cool or funny doing it. No. That's it, really. Wow, we sound like we have no fun at all, don't we? I know why singing a song badly is meant to be fun. I don't no. know how that happens. If you want that, you can just Saturday nights. Any Correct. TV channel you like. Yep. From Mike, the L200 driver... How are you showbiz tarts enjoying Britain's Got Talent this season? Well, I think we pretty much answered that question already. Yes. It's like a kid's talent show. That's the problem with Britain's Got Talent. It is like a kid's talent show. I'm not quite sure about that. Why you would put, a, I don't know, a 40-year-old singer 
a gangster six-year-old kid singing cute songs. Yeah. And all, because it means you can't... Like this year, they had a, like a disabled kid telling jokes. He was a comedian. Actually, it wasn't too bad. Mm-hmm. But there's no way any of the judges were going to buzz him and say, sorry, mate, you're shit. <laughs> just was never going to happen, was no. it? No. And, of course, it, what you get in terms of public voting for stuff is the whole cutesy thing kicking in. You should get a group of you know, stage school kids who all look fun and jolly. Yeah. And they say, oh, look at the cute kids. Let's yeah. vote for them. And so people vote for them. It's just ludicrous. The other thing, though, the only one I have seen, by the way, and I have only seen one of these, uh, exactly that same thing that they did before, uh, where they had two guys singing opera, except that, and I walked into the room as they were doing it, and I thought there were two guys kind of taking the piss out of opera singers. Okay. But what they did, they did that thing of, Singing opera, which means if you sing in a slightly deep voice and wobble your voice, people might just think you're an opera singer. Mm-hmm. And being Britain's Got Talent, of course, they all fell for it. So the audience stood up, the judges stood up, Amanda was crying. They all said it was the most emotional thing they'd ever seen. And it was just two blokes singing rather badly and mm. doing a what essentially was a parody of opera singers. But they clearly thought, maybe we can get away with this. And they did. They kind of did yeah. in a weird way. And then, of course, the next day, everyone's like, oh, they were fantastic. Not really. Maybe we should get an act together and go on it next year. Yeah, the two kids. <laughs> no, that's been taken by... Because I don't know if you've heard their radio show, but no, it's you're just... Not, yeah. You're not wrong. Yeah. From Mags. Mags says, My five-year-old son just told me that when he grows up, he wants to be a rag and bone man. <laughs> Any advice? Yeah, do it. Um, there was a bloke when I was a kid called Toddy Beanie. Called used what? To, Toddy Beanie, that was his name. I loved his first album. He was an old traveller. He used to mooch around. He had a horse, right. he had a cart, and he used to go around and just essentially pick people's junk up and flog it. Right. Um, and if you caught him later on in the afternoon, and I only ever saw this once, so it was fascinating as a kid, he would go to the pub. This makes it sound like I was born in 1930. (laughs) But he was doing this up until a a, a few years ago. Right. Uh, He would go to the pub in the afternoon, lay on the back of his own cart, and the horse would take him home. So you could suddenly find the ring road in Ashford came to a standstill. um, And you'd look ahead, and there was Toddy down the end and a horse just taking him home with him, pissed as a fart, laid on the back. Fantastic. It's a good plan. Yeah, and an old microwave for a pillow. But do you think that, uh, you know, Mags' son, Rag and Bone Man? Well, it's got, it's kind of, it's it's almost sort of playing eBay at, at its own, it's going retro. Oh, I suppose it is, eBay yeah. would have replaced, you know, everything from jumble sales to door-to-door junk merchants. He's reclaiming it. So but I'd say he, go for it. But he's fine. You need a horse. How does he know what a Rag and Bone Man is? I barely Step know what Steptoe, I don't know. So he's five years old and he's watching Steptoe and son. Oh, he's five? Five. Oh, in that case, he needs to get out more. <laughs> That's what I think. <laughs> Force him, Max. Get to make some friends. From? Good Lord. Just odd. Yeah. Finally, from Bell the Smell. Any chance of doing this podcast from another country? We did talk about it. We were thinking of doing one of those kind of capital cities. We thought New York for a day yes. might be good. That'd be all right. There and back like a robber's dog. Yeah. And I know you could do... Where's easy? You could do Paris. France. Yeah, we could nip France. over to France. You could bother the French. We could do it from Notre Dame. You could dress up in that Esmeralda outfit you've got when you do karaoke. Oh, shit, sorry. Yeah, oh, man. So, yeah, I think we will at some point. I've, there is another one here from Duncan Warwick, who says, uh, I was watching the Eurovision Song Contest the other day. Yeah, I know. During one of the songs, and I can't remember which one it was, a visiting male friend exclaimed that the male singer looked like the kind of guy that shaves his balls. <laughs> 
I take it he was being derogatory, but didn't wish to make a big deal out of this as my son was also in the room. But I felt like saying, I shaved my balls. Problem? What do you think he was implying? I seem to recall you commented that all men should shave their balls a few months ago, and as someone who also favours a nice, smooth nutsack, I wondered if you'd like to expand a little on this and other male grooming issues, especially as you carry a rack of suits around with you. (laughs) True. There's nothing wrong with it, uh, Duncan. The scrotatorium is a nasty-looking bit of kid, so if you can make it look neat and tidy, do so. It's not without its challenges. It's though. horrible. Well, you know, ladies go and have their their uh, their yeah, all bits that done. Brazilians and is, is taper. The, well, is there a place that men can go and and have it done? Yes, there is because you can have the what's it called back sack and crack. Okay. Well, you get the um, a, a a journalist mate of ours actually had that done. He right. had it done for a magazine, uh, for FHM. And he went and had it done, and he said about halfway through, his words were, "I developed Stockholm syndrome." <laughs> But here's my question, though. <laughs> I mean, that, but that's a waxing. If, if you wanted a shaving, I mean, which is better? I mean, a waxing at home would be well, bad. There's only one way to find out. <laughs> Andre! <laughs> no, I was going to say, uh, I mean, I, I suppose if you needed somebody with some experience of shaving a scrotum, you could just go and visit Alan Sugar's barber. Knows all the, the right moves. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Duncan. Yeah, I, I think we should come, I think we should do maybe a male grooming uh, feature. Really? Like oh, should idea. we? Yeah. I think right. we should do that, a feature. Yes. Little bits of advice. I could wax lyrical, haha, oh. about fingernail clippings. Right. We'll do that next week. I can't it's going to be a great show yeah. next week. It's the fingernail special. Yep. There is genuinely something in what I, I need to tell the nation next week about fingernails and toenails, if you like. Uh, if you've got any questions you want to send to us, kev at onceaword.com, ian at onceaword.com. I resign. Thank <laughs> for that. Welcome to the world of tomorrow! And here we go. It is that new, well, new-ish feature. Can we have another cheer, please? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, it is ways to make the world a better place. Once in a while, while you're busy just uh, floating around, just being a human being, essentially, you stumble across little areas of life. It could be uh, economic, social, governmental. It might be personal. It's a nugget of everyday life that sort of looks a little bit wrong. It could be a law, a type of behaviour, a corporate regulation, something that needs a swift kick up the jacksy, a rethink, a rewire, a reworking of ideas or notions. With this in mind, we bring you ways to make the world a better place. Your thoughts on where and how we can improve the globe. Welcome, kids, to our workshop. Kev, have you got one? Because I've got loads here from everybody. I have two. Two? Surprisingly. Go for it. The first one is just a quick one. I think everyone should wear a hat. And everyone should be allowed to wear the hat of their choice without comment or ridicule. I've long thought that hats make people happy. They and also make a lot of people look daft. Well, that's just it. But you can't say that. If we're going to improve the world and everyone's wearing a hat... So you'd be hattist. If you, you'd be yeah. accused of a hat crime if you would say... Yes, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh. The other one is uh, bar staff. I have an idea to improve the world and improve everyone. Make them wear hats. No, it's brilliant. Well, they'd be wearing hats, obviously, because that's part of the new regime. But my theory is, in order to improve the world, let's make people happier when they go out at a social occasion to a a pub or a club or or a restaurant. Okay. Here's my idea. We get the staff to be trained... By the SAS. Okay. Bear with me here. Killer stuff. Well, firstly, look yeah. at just two examples of why this is a good idea. Firstly, yeah. their uh, surveillance skills mean that they will automatically know who is next to be served. 
So when anyone else comes up to the bar, their brilliantly ordered brain and sharp eyes mean, without even thinking about it, they'll be able to pick out who is next. And that will make the people who are next very happy, obviously. The other point is, bit of trouble, they jump over the bar and kick the shit out of them with their advanced SAS ninja skills. Because that is what they do teach you at the SAS, how to be a ninja. And then you wouldn't need uh, door stuff. No, you wouldn't. Because the bar stuff would cover all the... So the I company's like saving money, so the bosses are happy, so the pub industry's improved, so everyone makes more money, so the prices come down on drinks. I mean, okay, you have to pay a little bit for the SAS training in the first place. You might do. There are, I mean, some of the pubs we go to, to be fair, some of the bar staff look as if they've been in the SAS. Uh, I'm going to give that seven points, Kev. Oh, yeah. Yes. I noticed you're writing down seven over and over again. I was, yes. I was quite troubled by that. <laughs> I thought you turned into Rain Man. Part of the training. Uh, here's a couple as well. The private number plates on cars. Oh, yeah. If you have a number plate where you have to use all the wrong numbers or letters to mean other things in order to try and squeeze out a private number plate, so an S becomes a 5, an 8 becomes a B, a 3 with a bolt in it makes it look like an 8, you should be executed! There should be some kind of crime. And it would make the world a better place if we could somehow punish that crime. Really? By spraying your car pink. Right. And I, we once... What is it with you and pink this week? Tate, don't bring me into this. I I don't want to. I like the idea that some of the crimes that are committed in cars, um, no insurance, road tax, rather than fining people and points and all the rest of it, you have to drive around uh, with a sort of blobby-esque pink for the next six months. Right. So you've not got any insurance. You go to court. The judge says, you're a very bad man. You've got no insurance. So as a result, we're putting your car into the spray pound. It will be pink for six months. I would extend that to people who have private number plates. And hopefully we will uh, winkle out the desire to hold such a bit of kit. Right. And here's the other. This is funerals. OK, so I went to a funeral last week. My Uncle Jim. Oh, Uncle Jim. Uh, my Uncle Jim went to the great farm in the sky. Was he a farmer? He, he was. He worked on oh, the farm right, okay. all, his, all his life. So, nice. uh, lo- lovely fella. And he hit the, at the age of, uh, almost hit 81. So. Not bad. But what it got me thinking, and I've been to maybe two or three funerals. I'm not, not a regular funeral goer. No. But I've been to a few. You don't crash any funerals. Try so. not to. Yeah. And something is really odd about a funeral. Um, clearly, it's meant to be a sombre occasion. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that. Uh, not many people are, are cracking gags and breaking <laughs> out into hysterical pink songs. There's not, yeah, there's not much karaoke at not, your funeral. Not a lot. No. I, I know some people do subvert the, uh, the, the idea and, and do strange things. But the one thing that mucks up a funeral for me is the corpse. <laughs> it is, frankly, still to me a bit odd that we still have. You're sitting in a church and you're essentially three feet away from a dead body. Yeah. Covered only by a bit of wood. True. I find that really weird. And everyone I've been to, I've never got used to it. I've always thought it's uncomfortable because you, you visualise them. You know, you think, my, my, my mate's in there. That's weird. He's in there. Yeah. That's not right. He's in the room with us. And he's dead. Just do away with that bit of the... Is he there, though? 
Is he there? Because hasn't he transcended to somewhere David else? David Copperfield's turned up or <laughs> leaving, something. Leaving his it's an illusion. He's left his mortal shell, and it's just like it's just it's just old flesh and bone, and he's gone. He's away. He's done what something it, else. Yeah, that's true. What it got me thinking though is the idea of putting the fun back into funerals, and I don't know why we don't. You know, why aren't the Undertakers dressed as clowns? <laughs> why, when they turn up, do you not get a honk honk and the door flies off or something? That would be funnier. The vicar's doing his big speech and whatever else, and he gets pied in the face. That it'd be brilliant. Yeah. Dave Allen used to do a sketch whereby he would, whoever, whatever the profession of the person, he was a vicar, and there was he was doing the service for a funeral, and he'd be standing there next to the coffin uh, that was about to be cremated or whatever, and whatever the profession of the person that the funeral service was for, the coffin would do something right. uh, c- kind of uh, appropriate. So he would say, you know, and now we say goodbye to Jimmy the Wheels McGregor the world's greatest and fastest racing driver, and the coffin would just shoot off <laughs> at about 80. And there'd be, I think the best one I saw was him saying, we say goodbye to Bernie Schmidt, a uh, great comedian who achieved the distinction of receiving more encores than any other act. We say goodbye to Bernie, and he goes behind the curtains, the curtains close, and <laughs> out it comes again. Did that several times. Beautiful stuff. Uh, we have many more of these. Ed on Twitter uh, says, the world would be a better place if we could give electric shocks through Twitter. There should be a button added so that you can either favourite a tweet, retweet, or electrocute the tweeter. I don't like that idea. I just get fried. I like that idea. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. I've seen your tweets. There are some annoying people. Joe says we should ban leaking headphones on a bus or a train. Yeah, I think we can. If we banned those, I think the world would be a better place, wouldn't it? It could be. I mean, but then you don't know when you're buying headphones, do you, how leaky they're going to be? Because if you try them on and get a nice sound, do you get the sales assistant to stand there and put them on so you can tell? But most good headphones go in your lug holes and they, they do cover up the sound, don't they? Some You do. don't get leakage from goodens, do you? You can do, on occasion. Robert McCarthy says, uh, here's an idea, let's make socialism illegal. That would make the world a better place. Yes, but a world without people like Galloway or Ten Homes Toynbee would be a very <laughs> dull place, wouldn't it, really? Lee Hurst says... Does he? Yeah, yeah, he says, if you want to be an MP, you've already broken the rules, allowing you to stand as an MP. You see, that's on the the idea that you want to become a politician should automatically stop you from okay. being one. The, the mere desire to want to be it, etc. I kind of get that. Do you think the kids today want to grow up and be an MP? Yeah, does anybody ever say, I like the idea of being an MP? Nah. Most people who want to be an MP are uh, people that have followed other MPs and become their uh, assistant or their secretary or something, and then they decide, oh, I quite fancy this. Looks like quite a powerful gig. Yeah. It's not, really. No. Adam says, uh, humans should be subsidised to migrate during winter. If a feathered bastard can do it, (laughs) then why can't we? He also says long-haul flights should provide at least two feet of legroom and a bed. They do in, like, super superior class, don't they? I only once uh, went on a long-haul flight where I was bumped up to business class. Right. Didn't ask for it, just got bumped up to business class. And I thought, this is extraordinary. So this is on the way to Dubai. I thought, brilliant. There's only, like, four other people in the entire section. Yeah. Of about, I don't know, 20 seats. So you've got your own little area. You can put your feet up. TV in front of you, little bar area. It's all very comfortable. And, of course, you've got a bed. Wow. Yeah. This seat turns into a bed. This is fantastic. Unfortunately for me, there was a fella on the next booth uh, whose mate was just one behind him. His mate decided, while I tried to sleep, to come and sit on the arm of his mate's chair and engrossing conversation. It's a German man who had the unfortunate habit 
of laughing in a sort of a <laughs> kind of way. <laughs> so as I am attempting to look, get a little bit of shut eye, all I can hear every 12 seconds is, <laughs> is he really doing that? He's just trying to find me up the wrong way. <laughs> And on and on it went. So, yes, I, I have laid in one. I just haven't slept in one, thanks to a, uh, a giggling German man on a long-haul flight. Tony Schumacher says, here's an idea to make the world a better place. Everybody has to carry a duck. You can't, <laughs> you, you can't mug someone or start a war if you're carrying a duck. Right on. Love right that. on. That is beautiful. Glinny Boy says, implement the entire US Bill of Rights in the UK. Yes, that's a good idea. Then we could all bear arms and shoot the people who commissioned that new Nick Grimshaw quiz programme. Mm. Hashtag itch. <laughs> Andy the Scouser says, I reckon the world would be a better place if the Scouse accent was banned. He says this as a Scouser. Hey? He says, that way, people wouldn't constantly come up to me and say things like, I loved Brookside, or calm down, calm down, <laughs> which I think does happen to a lot of uh, Scousers. I'm just glad Ross Abbott's not on the TV anymore. Andy Becker says, this would improve the world. People should have their IQ tattooed on their head. <laughs> we could start that in Bromley. Is that your IQ, or are you just a fan of 24? <laughs> hey! I like the idea of Bromley being the initiators of such That's a That's a great idea. If you have any uh, ways to make the world a better place, email ian at onceaword.com, kev at onceaword.com. We have Howard Hughes coming up, talking paranormal detail. He's very, very good. He knows his beans, Howard. Really looking forward to that. That's right. Yeah, on his way. The Mitsubishi L200 comes with a 125,000-mile five-year warranty. In fact, if you bought an L200 today, it would last roughly five years longer than a politician's promise. For more info on the Mitsubishi L200, visit your local dealer. The Mitsubishi L200. No environment too tough. Sideshow Kev's Showbiz Shoebox. Andre, stop the music! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the wonderful world of Sideshow Kev, animal veterinarian. Now, I'm not a qualified animal doctor. Really? So please don't send me your pets to fix, or if you're Justin Bieber, get them back from the Germans. What I am, however, is a quack quack. Oops. That. No argument and, there. And also the world's foremost expert on celebrity animals in TV, radio and film. Oh. Very simple, Ian Collins. I'll give you the name of a famous TV or film animal actor. Just tell me what they appeared in from the available options. I'm looking forward to this. I like a bit of menagerie-based detail. Number one. Famous TV animal actor Bamboo Harvester starred in which series? Was it A, Mr. Ed, B, Skippy the Bush Kangaroo, or C, Lancelot the Llama with Leprosy? I I don't know is the answer. All I know about Skippy, which I didn't know for ages and ages, was that Lisa Goddard was the girl in it. <laughs> and Lionel Blair. <laughs> so I'm going Skippy. Oh, it's the incorrect answer. Bamboo Harvester was Mr. Ed. He couldn't talk. But is because he's a horse, of course. Right. Okay. But so his real name as a horse was Bamboo Harvester. Bamboo Harvester. Okay. Number two, famous TV animal actor Bruno. What did he star in? Was it A, Lassie, B, Gentle Ben, or C, The Sneezing Weasels? I'm saying B, Gentle Ben. Gentle Ben? Yes. It's the correct answer. Get in there. His full name? Bruno the Bear. Number three, what did London star in? That's the animal with the name London as opposed to the city. Okay. In Ontario, that would Canada. Have been numerous films, obviously. Was it A, The Littlest Hobo? B. Champion the Wonder Horse 
Or C, Chin Chin, the chip chewing chimp. Right, London could be a. You're taking this so seriously. No, I'm trying to think of what you would. Because you would, would you call a. You could call a chimp. No, a chimp, you'd have a cheekier name for a chimp. London, when you apply it to a horse, is quite a grand moniker, I think, in that respect. I think it would stand to reason that you might have Champion the Wonder Horse, which obviously we weren't even born when this thing was on, but up until about 2003, they still showed during the summer holidays for some inexplicable reason. Uh, The horse was called London on the basis of its sheer majesty. The correct answer is A, the littlest hobo. Oh, f*** off. (laughs) What surprises me most is you actually think there was a programme called Chin Chin the Chip Chewing Chimp. There should be... I'll grant you that. A chimp that eats chips. Yeah, with his chin-chin. I'd watch that. Number four. Famous TV animal actors Patty, Scotty and Squirt starred in which series? <laughs> A. BJ and the Bear. B. Flipper. Or C. The Further Adventures of Barry Beaver. It's got to be... I mean, the clue really was in the question. I mean, you gave three names there. One of them was Squirt. And, of course, you know, we know the Barry the Beaver. Beavers don't squirt. We know that the first... Stop it. We know that the first one, what, which was... BJ uh, and the Bear. BJ and the Bear was a monkey. Yeah. Mon- that was a, a monkey, the bear. Uh, but they don't squirt. But the second one was dolphin-based. What have I got wrong here? No, no, it's fine. I'm just, I'm just pleased you didn't go to... You didn't veer too much ah. towards BJ there. That's, that's what I was thinking. I am going with the dolphins. It's the correct answer. Yeah. Flipper. Yeah. Flipper. They call him Flipper. Number five. Fins ain't what they used to be. Oh, Jesus Christ. Are you really going to lecture me on you, bad gaggery? You blame me for the quality of this feature going Man, down. Man, I like. When you come up with I things like that. I am taking no lectures from... The Michael Barrymore of podcasting. You are making bad jokes about Flipper, and I have to say, that was it. I have to say, I think you're doing it on porpoise. <laughs> Number five. Yes. TV animal, famous animal actor, animal, animal, Higgins. Higgins was the star of what? Was it A, The Adventures of Rin Tin Tin? B, Benji, Zax and the Alien Prince, or C, Carl, the cage-fighting, cock-knocking kangaroo? Well, I don't know what Rin Tin Tin is. It was a dog thing from the 40s. Okay, That's it. It's got to be the dog, isn't it? It is a dog, but the wrong dog. It was Benji. From Benji, Zax and the Alien Prince. A little-remembered series from the 80s about a dog, a robot... And an alien prince. British. American. Okay. All the best stuff is. Because I met Benji, the performing dog. Did you? The one that was in all those adverts and... Higgins. Uh, Yes, but it was... This was called Benji. Higgins. No, it wasn't Higgins. It was Benji. Higgins. Call him Higgins, the thing didn't move. (laughs) Call him Benji, it came like a bastard. (laughs) Uh, but the woman that owned Benji, uh, and it was it, you'd know Benji if you saw Benji, uh, loads of adverts, TV shows, uh, dog food and all that caper. Um, but what I do remember uh, about meeting the woman who owned Benji, she was an utter cat. <laughs> really? And I'll tell you who I was with. I was with Fern Britton, actually. What? When I met Benji the dog. Because a mate of mine had appeared on a TV show 
and he said, come down with me. And I went down and watched this TV show. He was a guest on it as a comic, and one of the other guests was Benji the dog. So afterwards, we're all sitting around talking. Um, Benji's owner didn't really go a bundle on conversation. He just wanted to get the mutt out of there. I think Fern spied this. She's a a woman of good humour and I think there was a, a knowing look between us thinking that we like the dog but she's a sh**. Yeah. yeah. Did take an unfortunate turn when Fern stuck Benji in her George Foreman grill of course but that's another story. Yes. And then That's the show with Shoebox for this week. <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter <laughs> at Sideshow underscore Kev or email me kev at whatsoward.com Don't do that! Uh, it just encourages him. No animals were harmed during the making of this shoebox. Brilliant. Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. Rivers and seas boiling. Forty years of darkness. Earthquakes, volcanoes. The dead rising from the grave. Human sacrifice. Dogs and cats living together. That's hysteria. So here we go, Kev. Uh, we promised you paranormal detail, and who better to speak with on this? A man uh, whose career goes uh, via the conduit of quality journalism, news reading, writing, you name it, he's done it and continues to do so. But, on the side, he also knows a thing or two about the paranormal. He's back with us. It's the second appearance on Once a Word. Howard Hughes is here! Howard, how are you? Ian, I'm a very, uh, all the better for hearing you. Uh, second appearance, that must mean the first one was all right. Either you know, that or I'm so cheap you know, <laughs> it's just easy to get me back. I said to Kev, I said, we could almost have Howard on every week because the questions we got after the first one, were it was just extraordinary. Mm. And often when you, you've done a programme, some of the better questions come through after the guest has gone. That's so, true, isn't it? That, that is called you-know-what's law. The fact is that... Topics, when you're doing them on the radio or something like yep. this, often they build, and by the time they build, you're three-quarters of the way Correct. through the show. Correct. Well, let's start with the first one right. from Niall in East Manchester, who says, um, he says, hello, Howard, first of all, it's very nice of him. He says, is there, a, <laughs> is there a case where the government could not explain an unequivocal, bona fide, paranormal UFO-type incident? Uh, Niall in East Manchester, I think, the difficulty that you've got with that is the phrase an unequivocal paranormal UFO type incident. Yeah. Um, I don't know of too many of those in the world, and certainly not in the United Kingdom, even Rendlesham Forest, the most famous one here. Yeah. Uh, governments, if we're talking about governments, well, no government, and certainly not ours, and certainly not the American government, is in the business of confirming things like this. Even if they were as plain as a pike staff. Uh, they would be the last person to tell you this is so. And you say, well, for why would that be? And I'll tell you, very, very simply, uh, a government is not going to confirm that there is some power greater than itself. Yeah. That's never going to happen. You know, hell will freeze over first. So some other thing, some other scientific discovery, some other revelation is going to have to happen. But we will have to find out that what you're seeing on Mars at the moment are the sure. smashed up relics of things that somebody's put there then perhaps our government will confirm. But at the moment, and for the last however many years we've been in the UFO era, which is, what, 70 years now, and more, because there are you know, paintings on caves from thousands of years ago of these things. But you know, no, this government of ours is not going to come out and say, absolutely, this is unequivocal and we can't deny it. But is part that, of that, that because so many of the sightings always 
Well, they're always a bit sketchy, aren't they, really? Uh, we, we haven't. I mean, well, here's a question from Lisa the Gooner, who, who steps into similar territory. Which is, can you ask Howard if there is any video evidence uh, online of alien activity or visitation? Wouldn't at least one person have some video of a grey, which is one of those a- a- aliens? And a guy, and somebody else on Twitter, when we said you were coming on, Howard, said, yeah, I mean, in the last 15, 10, well, at least 10 years, everyone's got a camera on their phone. Somebody would have a picture, wouldn't they? They do. And there are many, many pictures, and there's lights over the Kremlin, there's the spiral in the sky over Norway, and that's just in the last couple of years. So there are videos available of these things, and if you're talking about videos on YouTube and that sort of stuff, well, the, you, t- you pay your money, you take your choice. I've got my netbook here. I could log on to YouTube, and we could spend the next three hours going through some of the videos. There was the famous film of the alien autopsy, uh, which yeah. turned out to be, it's pretty pretty firmly agreed now, a fake. It was um, Anton Deck, wasn't it, doing it, as it turned out? Well, <laughs> yes. That's what I heard. Well, that's what they said. <laughs> but it was, all that stuff is very... Again, to go back to Niall's question to begin with, there's never that kind of 100% clear-cut piece of no-doubt-about-it footage. There's always a bunch of questions. It's always a bit grainy. I was interviewing on radio uh, last week a guy called David H. Boyle, uh, who I have to say I'd never heard of until he was put before me. Somebody suggested that I talk to him, and I was doing a live show, and I said, OK, let's put him on. And David H. Boyle is based in the Blackpool area. Um, he's done some paranormal-style exhibitions, one of them in Blackpool. And they used to be, he used to have the Doctor Who exhibition in Flangothlen. Uh, in North Wales, uh, which was quite famous up there. I remember seeing that. And he's had long, long interest in these things. Ask him any question and he can answer it. And he said something that I think in passing I've thought about before, but I thought about it a bit more last week. Uh, 97% of all that there is, we cannot see because it's happening in frequencies and in planes beyond us, beyond our ken, beyond our sensibilities. So we're only aware of 3% of it. So all this other stuff that people say is not happening, the greys, the aliens, and powers beyond us, and life after death, may well be happening in that 97%. Uh, Now, you may think that's ridiculous, but on the train coming home from London today, I was listening to a very interesting discussion about parallel universes, and this is now in the realms of real hard science. Not a place where it was 10 years ago. It was science fiction back then, but there are now serious hard scientists talking about there being parallel planes, parallel to this one, and universes beyond beyond ours. Howard, can you tone it down a bit? You're scaring Kev, by the way. <laughs> well, he is easily scared. He's quivering in the corner. Went, Boo, Kev will be yeah. Mike, so, Newell, Mike Newell in Derby says, why don't airline pilots regularly report UFO detail? Surely, if these characters were flying around the place, pilots would have the best view. Two things to say. Pilots do see these things, and they have seen these things within our living memory. Uh, They have, and they've reported them. Some pilots have. But traditionally, the difficulty is the stigma of anybody wearing a uniform reporting something like that, Hmm. because their mental stability and ultimately their career will be on the line if they make a report. And that's why many pilots who do see things don't report it. Having said that, um, I'll trot out a couple of the the more celebrated recent cases, the Origny Airlines flight from the Channel Islands, or rather from Southampton to the Channel Islands. Oh, I think I saw a reconstruction of this. This was a fascinating case back in 2007. Now, this pilot said that the plane was shadowed by a UFO as big as a battleship. 
plain as a pike staff, and it was pretty scary, and he said so, and he was interviewed by the local ITV, Channel Television, and others at the time. Uh, very credible witness, he reported it, he went on the record, and beyond that, whether he was told not to say any more or whether he decided he'd had enough, he stopped doing interviews with, with people like me because I tried to get him on, on my show and, and couldn't. Uh, but if that is a very celebrated, well-recorded case. There was a British Midland plane uh, back in 1994 or 93 that was also shadowed by something gigantic, and the crew saw that and it was reported. But for every one case that is reported, you pick a figure, I would say probably there are a hundred, maybe several hundred, that don't get reported for the reasons that we discussed. People would question the veracity of the report and question the stability of the person making the report. And when you've got a job like airline pilot, your mental stability has to be beyond question. And this one kind of binds up everything we've talked about and goes beyond, because yeah, yeah. it's Moz in Sunderland who says, does the Illuminati really exist, as in a group of powerful figures, sitting in a secret cave somewhere pulling all of the strings? Because, of course, this is a, a constant, isn't it? Whenever we talk paranormal or conspiracy, it comes back to this, uh, supposedly, this shady group of characters, whether they're media owners or oil magnets or even of another life form who supposedly sit and pull the strings and, as David Icke and others might say, we are merely puppets and even governments and prime ministers and presidents are puppets to them. I think we are all mere cogs in a great wheel. I think all you can ever do about this stuff, and there's plenty to read, and I know you've been reading about this and I've been reading about it for years, that suggests there is a government behind the government, whether or not it has links to something beyond even this planet. That's questionable. But if you think about the weird stuff the Nazis got involved in, uh, they had technology, I think it's fairly well agreed, that was beyond what was feasible at that time. Now, where did they get that from? And that's just one link in this, in this great chain. If you want to know what I believe, yes, I do believe that there is a government behind the government. You look at the, the momentum that there's been over the years towards world government, world finance, and look at the state that's got us in, uh, the EU, which is being debated at the moment. You keep saying, bad idea, we need to be out of it. But everything is moving towards centralization in every area, whether it's commerce, whether it's government, whether it's banking, everything is centralizing. Now, you can say that's all to do with the sort of centrifugal force of things as they get bigger, as you just look at media organizations. They grow and then they swallow up other media organizations, and that's just the natural way of things. Or there is another force beyond that that is a controlling force. And David, I could talk to you all evening about that. In fact, on October the 28th last year, uh, David, I did a massive show in Wembley, and he had his biggest audience yet, I believe, and he was talking about similar things. Now, if you think about the kind of audience that David Icke would have got 20 years ago talking about stuff like that. Well, he wouldn't have filled Wembley Arena. Huh. And he did last October. Why? Because more and more people are questioning. Why? Because I think people's minds are beginning to wake up. And I'm not a crazy. I've done all the hard news stuff. I've worked on hard news stories, tough news desks, so you know, people don't pull the wool over my eyes. Yeah. I started doing this because I started asking questions. And quite frankly, I look at politicians on the TV now, and I'm starting to sound like Victor Meldrew, because I'm saying, I don't believe it every time <laughs> I see them. Well, listen, on that note, Howard, 
Uh, well, none of us are going to sleep now, are we, tonight after that? Not me. You Tell certainly me. won't sleep if you don't let me plug my website. Well, I was going to say, we, we, we must do that. Maybe I'm part of the Illuminati that are putting those strings. I, I, think, you're, this is all I a, think you're the master of disinformation. This is, a, this is all a double bluff, really, I, pretending I to expose something. Put in my way. Listen, tell us, um, t t tell us about your website and where it is. Howard. OK, uh, website www.theunexplained.tv Fantastic. Ideal for a radio show, eh? Yeah, there's, <laughs> and there's so much info and detail on there as well. Oh, All the like W's. The Times, there's so much in it. Indeed, the unexplained.tv. <laughs> Howard Hughes, thank you, sir. Howard Hughes with us! Credit stream. And there you go. That's all you're getting for now. We are, of course, back next week. Thanks to you for downloading. If you like what we do and want to help support this podcast, then get over to iTunes and rate, review, and, of course, subscribe. Android users can try us on the free Stitcher app or download at stitcher.com slash once a word. Thank you to all of our guests. All can be followed on Twitter, as can we, at Ian Collins UK. The in-show feature and sponsor music is by Kevin McLeod. His website is in computer. Com. The show's technical operator is Andre Porch. The programme was edited by Lisa Thompson. Our researchers were Depeche Mode. And today's utterly gobsmacking piece of trivia comes courtesy of Mike in Preston, who tells me that horses dream only in the colour green. Yeah, thanks, Mike. You're fascinating. Oh, and as ever, the in-show catering was provided by Abdul's Coffee Shack. We're back next week with one of America's top talk show hosts. Yes, it's the welcome return of the motor mouth of San Diego, LaDonna. Harvey. Gee whiz. Until then, goodbye. A Big Things Media Production. Big Things! Ian Collins wants a word. Powered by the Mitsubishi L200. Tough enough to last the distance. And now with a five-year, 125,000-mile warranty. 